This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. It is Friday, and you know what that means. Nora is on the show, and we got the divisional round of playoffs coming up. No power rankings, but let's talk about some powerful teams in the NFL. Nora, it's great to see you. Good to see you, dude, Tate. Well, let's start with our Baltimore Ravens. That's the first game on Saturday. Texans at Ravens. Ravens minus nine and a half in this game. We, this is a week one rematch. We saw this uh, week one of the season, 25 to nine. The Ravens won that game. Lamar's playoff record, one and three. Um, there's been some conversation about how much concern level should be there. So I'll start with that question, Nora. How concerned are we about the Ravens covering this line and winning this game? Well, okay. I'm not that concerned. The Ravens are the better team. I think defensively, they're going to be just a little bit more of a a dynamic challenge than the Browns were for Houston in the wild card round. So I I feel pretty good about them in that respect. I do think just on the off chance, which I think is slim, something, something weird happens. Given the spread, given the Lamar history, I, I think it's that's a small sample size. But if they did somehow lose this game, Oh, I'm scared of the takes. I am just scared of the takes. Losing is a 10-point favorite to a rookie quarterback. I, I think people would say some things. Uh, but thankfully, I don't think there's a very good chance that that's going to happen. One thing to watch in this game is C.J. Stroud loves to throw the ball downfield. We know that. He, he averaged almost 10 yards uh, a pass when it comes to this season. That's fourth best in the league. Um, also, the Ravens are first in DVOA uh, when opponents try to throw downfield. So that's really where the game is going to come down to. Uh, can the Ravens secondary hold up on the back end against C.J. Stroud? Do we have some faith that C.J. Stroud can still deliver and play as well as he did against that Browns defense a, a couple weeks ago? So I think last week set a really high bar and yes, that Cleveland defense was a really good unit throughout the year, but one, they had really struggled, uh, on the road and two, they hadn't been the same team since miles Garrett got hurt. And I think you really saw that. I think you saw Laramie Tunzel essentially just say, I'm going to lock this guy down. And he had one hit and and two other pressures or something that just did not make a big impact on that game. 
Uh, so I don't think that Cleveland, despite the fact that they had been a good defensive unit, one of the best throughout the year, had a very good showing. And I think Baltimore is less likely to get out schemed. Do we think it's good that they're addressing the fact that they've talked about the past and, and talked about the fact that they've already been in a position like this and have struggled? Do we think that gives them more optimism that they're not going to have the same sort of pitfall again? Is that is that encouraging to see that they're talking about this? You know, I don't know if I think it's good or bad or neutral that they're talking about it. I just don't think that that stuff is all that sticky mm-hmm. in terms of predicting what's likely to happen. There's some teams where you can see stuff get in their heads. I just don't worry about that with this Ravens team. You think about the offseason, they went through all the drama of Lamar's contract situation and then to go in to learn a new offense, to have some ups and downs, especially earlier in the season with the drops and with some unexpected losses, and then just to have it all click as the season went on. I think this is a pretty resilient team. I think this is a loose team. Maybe there's a little something in Lamar's mind, but again, he has gotten that playoff win. He did get that monkey off his back. I I, I think they're not going to be tight, at least in terms of how they're thinking about the history and, and all of that stuff in this game. I don't really worry about that. All right. Well, that makes me feel good. Uh, I feel better about our Ravens right now. So hopefully they'll handle business. Again, the line is minus nine and a half in that game. The other game on Saturday is the Green Bay Packers taking on the 49ers. This is the 10th playoff meeting between these two teams. That is the most of any matchup all time. 49ers lead five to four in this one. And we just saw Jordan Love have the most efficient game a quarterback has had all season against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Do you think there's any hope that Green Bay can carry that momentum into San Francisco and get a big win? Any hope, huh? Any hope. Uh, Even a sliver. You know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? CJ Stroud and Jordan Love are both playing for teams that are nearly 10-point underdogs in the divisional round. That said, if you say to me, like, does it feel like one of those quarterbacks is still going to be alive next weekend? It kind of does. Hmm. They're playing such good football. They're playing at such a high level. And those offenses are working in ways that feel sustainable, feel not just like they're beating up on on weak opponents. And it makes me feel like just like a feeling in my gut that one of those guys is somehow going to be alive next next week. But when I look at the games on an individual level, I mean, look, again, I think uh, I, I think the Packers are in for just a different defensive test against the 49ers than they got against Dallas. I mean, Dallas had had been a good defense, but particularly vulnerable to the run game, to play Mm. action, and then to the deep shots, which if you're Green Bay, all of those elements of their offense are, one, just really important to their offense, and they all work in concert. So we we saw the deep bombs that come off the play action that comes off the fact that Aaron Jones was just dominating in the run game. And those were all vulnerabilities for Dallas going into it. And, you know, credit to LaFleur, credit to Jordan Love, credit to the rest of that offense. They stuck with it and Dallas couldn't adjust. But I think some of that was a little bit predictable. San Francisco is a different test, right? And then when you get to the offensive side of the ball, particularly going up up against that, Joe Barry defense, which I think is the weakness of Green Bay that just wasn't really exploited by Dallas at all. I think that's where they're really going to have trouble sticking with the 49ers, but they might be able to shorten the game. 
that's the interesting thing to me is, is if they can keep the number of possessions low in this, grind some clock, make it into a game where it's just critical plays and it's not about it's not about having to to keep up with, you know, a six touchdown performance on the opposite side of the ball, but you limit those possessions. I do think that they could they could really make a game out of this. And then, you know, you get into the fourth quarter, anything could happen. But in terms of the 49ers offense going up against this Packers defense, I do think San Francisco has a has a big advantage there. Yeah, it could be a big Christian McCaffrey game, as you mentioned, with that offense. Then on the defensive side, guys like, you know, Fred Warner in the middle of the field could have a big game. That pass rush with Chase Young and Nick Bosa, that's going to be something that Jordan Love has to deal with. Uh, Green Bay has won their last two meetings in San Francisco. Those are both in the regular season, but Shanahan is 2-0 and against LaFleur in the playoffs. So that's a little, uh, you know, got to see both sides of the equation there. Uh, I wanted to ask you one last thing on this game. Who's got the most pressure in this game? Is it Brock Purdy? Because uh, Cam Newton came out, talked about game managers, uh, versus game changers. We saw one game manager go down in Dak Prescott and Cam Newton was, you know, doing a victory lap there. Brock Purdy, he's next on the list. Are we concerned about Purdy in this game? So Purdy just depends, like how much pressure is on Brock Purdy really depends what you think of Brock Purdy, which is such a Rorschach test (laughs) for NFL fans. I feel like, (laughs) I mean, if you think that Brock Purdy was like deeply robbed of the MVP, then yeah, probably there's there's quite a bit of stakes on Brock Purdy's performance in this game. Uh, to me, Purdy has done a really good job within the confines of what he's been asked to do this season. And I think that this is a, a nice setup for him to continue to do that. Again, he's going against a defense that you know just plays that soft style that I don't think is going to be particularly effective against these guys and against Purdy. And he should be able to, to be pretty comfortable and show some playmaking. Uh, I guess it's probably Shanahan. Mm-hmm. I mean, LaFleur and Love, I think, are playing with house money at right. this point. But for Kyle Shanahan, I mean, if you flame out in the first game that you're playing, you're the one seed, you have this, you know, dominant team. It's almost like, I mean, the the pressure is on like Kyle Shanahan's sense of existential <laughs> yeah, he, viability he or might lack of it. dread. I, yeah. I, I worry. <laughs> I, I worry. I worry about that too. And I think that's a great pick. I think Shanahan is the one probably feeling the most pressure. Uh, let's get to Sunday because we have the NFC game or the first game is the NFC game. We're gonna have the Bucks taking on the Lions in this one. We got Jared Goff taking on Baker Mayfield, two former number one picks uh, that are not not with the teams that drafted them, but now playing in the playoffs for other teams. Uh, the Bucks right now six and one since, since week thirteen, so they're playing some really good football. There's a lot of people that are optimistic about this Tampa Bay team. What say you, Lions minus? six and a half in this one. Do we think the Bucks could go on the road and get a big win? I, I would go with Detroit Me too. here. I mean, I'm, I'm a little surprised that the spread is that significant, but Detroit overall, I just think it's a re- well-rounded team. I'm curious to see if they come out and try to run the ball against Tampa, which does have a good run defense, but I just think the way that that Detroit offensive line is playing and just the fact that that's their bag, that's the thing that they want to establish so that they can in sort of a similar way uh, to Green Bay, get their play action going off of that, try to dial up some of those deep shots and get in a positive game script. I think they're going to come out and try to play their game. The other thing that I think here that works in Detroit's favor is, you know, it's the playoffs, I think, often reward aggression. And when we talk about the coaching staffs, Dan Campbell, 
I mean, that guy, we know, will roll the dice <laughs> yes. and go for it. He'll go for it anyway. Whether we're talking anytime, about two points, fourth yep. down, you know, end of game situations, he is going for the win. And Todd Bowles, I just don't feel like has that sense of, of rolling the dice and really putting the game in his players' hands. And, you know, I think it cost Sean McVay. I think it cost the Rams last weekend. There's a possibility that we're still talking about LA in this weekend's slate of games rather than Detroit if McVay had been a little bit more aggressive, um, either on that fourth down with some of the clock management stuff. I'm not saying it necessarily would have made a difference, but I do think that there's a chance. Uh, So I I like Detroit just because I think the coaching staff has an advantage. I do think the quarterback has a little bit of an advantage. And then I just think the overall system, uh, it's a stronger infrastructure than Tampa, which has had a good, good, really good, really admirable stretch. But that Eagles team that they just beat, I mean, they were one, two, three Cancun playing for vacation. Just right. absolutely done. Didn't want to prolong the misery. I think there were guys flying to the Bahamas and Turks and Caicos out of Tampa Bay uh, right after the game. Completely. Uh, so <laughs> they're already halfway there to their vacation. Last game. This is the big yeah. game. Uh, we got Sunday night. Chiefs, Bills, Bills minus two and a half in this game. This is the seventh meeting between Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen. The series is tied three to three. Pat Mahomes two and zero oh in the playoffs. Uh, one of the best QB rivalries we have in the game today. Pat Mahomes' first road playoff game. How do you see this one playing out, Nora? And uh, how excited are you to watch these two guys go at it again in the postseason? Well, I, I gotta ask you, Tate. Do you know about the pit? What's the pit? Okay. So sometimes, sometimes I come on here and we do a little debunking and, and blah, 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 blah. And we'll, we'll get to that, of course. But here's a little extra one for, for you. Mm. Uh, so the pit in Buffalo is how they refer to the construction site of their new stadium that right now is just a big pit of dirt in the ground mm-hmm. next to the actual existing stadium that they're using. And I don't know if you remember this, but early in the season, like in September, there was this story that a guy in Buffalo, he took LSD and he broke (laughs) into the construction site and he fell in the pit. And I think he was okay. Um, But the like Twitter account for for Buffalo, like emergency alerts, tweeted something (laughs) out like man falls in hole and then in parentheses, unknown how deep the hole is. (laughs) And it was just really ridiculous and absurd and funny. But as you also know, Bills got off to a rough start this season. They had at one point a 15% chance of even making the playoffs, but then they won out at the end of the season and they've had this, this, you know, really gutsy comeback. And so it's become this bit in Buffalo that they're sacrificing someone to the pit every week (laughs) and that the pit's got to eat and the pit needs to consume a human sacrifice and then rewards the bills with a a weekly win. And I, (laughs) as a person who deeply cares about Taylor Swift and who knows that Taylor Swift is going to be in Buffalo for this game, I am so worried because the pit, the pit grows greedier and greedier and needs to be stronger and stronger Mm. with every week. And our Andrew Grinadaro, a fabulous ringer editor, but also someone with Bill's allegiance and Buffalo allegiance, wrote an amazing explanatory piece that's up on the ringer.com right now and that everybody should go read because it's just hysterical about the uh, 
the lure of the pit, the <laughs> legend of the pit. You're saying that Taylor, you're worried that Taylor Swift walks by the pit and then it calls to her and, and she ends Bill's up in the pit. And Bill's mafia throws her in as a human sacrifice. Oh my gosh. This is uh, this is not like Andy Dwyer in the hole on Parks and Recreation. This is like you're worried that she's going to be stuck in the pit forever. Like purgatory. Taylor, don't go near the pit. <laughs> Taylor, stay away from I the mean, pit. I mean, you thought that tables was bad. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I, uh, yeah. So that's that's what's on the line for me. Yeah, that, in Chiefs Bills. I think so too. I think that's a great take. Uh, watch out for the pit if you are Taylor Swift or honestly anybody in the Buffalo Jeez. area during that game. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the wildest coaching cycle ever in the NFL with Nora. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Nora. And Nora, you just wrote an article for TheRinger.com. Go check it out right now. But the headline is this, the wildest coaching cycle ever in the NFL. And uh, let's start with Bill Belichick because he apparently is doing a second interview with the Atlanta Falcons. Do we think it's a foregone conclusion that he will end up the head coach of the Falcons? How do we feel about Belichick right now? Well, so I, I foregone conclusion is maybe a little bit strong, but it does seem like there are a lot of indicators pointing in that direction. And, you know, we've talked about Belichick and how I feel about Belichick a lot on this show. But I, what I think is interesting is that, you know, if you really read the read the read between the lines, read the tea leaves from what's happened so far with this this crazy coaching cycle. Is that he hasn't gotten that much interest, mm. you know, I mean, I, I the thing that I was writing about besides just sort of the surreal quality to seeing the tweets and getting the sort of bland press releases about the Atlanta Falcons completed their interview with New England, former New England Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, which is just so bizarre. Like it's just so crazy that we're, that we've arrived at this moment. Beyond that, the thing that I was writing about was that, you know, interviewing a Bill Belichick, if you're an owner is a completely different experience than interviewing a Ben Johnson or a Bobby Slowick or a Mike McDonald. It's, it's just, I mean, these guys, and it's not just Belichick, right? It's, it's, if Pete Carroll gets interviewed somewhere, it's Harbaugh interviewing with the chargers. It's even to some extent, it's, it's Mike Vrabel. These are guys who everybody has so much history with. I mean, mm -hmm. sports fans have a ton of history with them, but if you're an owner of a team, 
you know what you think of Bill Belichick. You know if you think that that's a good coach or not. So of course you have the interview and you you have him come in and talk about the stuff of, you know, are you going to coach two years? Or are you going to coach 10 years? Are you, how much of a say in personnel do you need to have? Can we write it into the contract that you're not allowed to hire Matt Patricia? Like you sort of do those pre-negotiation things in the interview. So of course it's a, a worthwhile thing, but it's not like, what's your philosophy? What's your style as a coach with players? Like they know these answers and they have these preconceived ideas. And I think it's an interesting opportunity to kind of see based in how they act, what a lot of these owners think of Bill Belichick. And I'm not saying that what we're learning is they think that he's, you know, a fraud, washed, a scrub. Like, of course not. But we, it is interesting to me that, you know, Mike McCarthy didn't get fired. Mm-hmm. And inherent in that is that Jerry Jones is not taking an opportunity to, to replace Mike McCarthy with Bill Belichick. There's really one team that seems like it's going after him hard. But the commanders said pretty quickly, we're not in. We're not interested. You know, the Chargers do not seem to be chomping at the bit to, to hire Bill Belichick. The Panthers with all of of that David Tepper money are not signaling that they're really, really desperate for this. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, But the sense that I'm getting is that the market is pretty lukewarm, which is really interesting. And I don't know if it has more to do with how much expectation he has of, of personnel control or if it's just that teams want to put their own stamp, owners want to put their own stamp on their organization and Bill Belichick just feels too much like the guy that Robert Kraft hired and you're never really going to be able to take credit. But I, I don't quite know what it is. But the thing that is interesting to me is that I'd posed in that piece that we have an opportunity to kind of get a statement from the league about what Belichick's reputation really is. And it doesn't look awesome so far. Yeah, and you mentioned the iconic coaches that we've just seen leave the game. I mean, in college, we obviously see Nick Saban uh, is done in Alabama. Then you got Pete Carroll with Seattle. You got Bill Belichick with the Patriots. Um, is it crazy to think maybe Andy Reid is a guy who could be contemplating the idea of getting out of the game of football? Like, is a new guard coming in as far as the coaching ranks and the old guard, like you said, maybe the owners are a little bit lukewarm on some of these names that we've known and, and grown to love for so long. So, I'm not ducking the question, but let's see. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the interesting thing about this coaching cycle is that as we're sitting here right now talking about it, it really could go either way because it definitely does have that feeling, right? Like this Super Bowl in a few weeks is going to be the 25th Super Bowl of this century. We're at that quarter mark and we have a mostly young group of quarterbacks that are leading these teams. The... Shanahan McVay tree really has tentacles in most of the league. That has become the dominant schematic lineage around the league. And some of these firings, Belichick, Carroll, seem pretty rooted in in the need for fresh attitudes and fresh ideas. Now, the thing is, if those guys just get scooped up by someone else, then, you know, maybe the pause is on that a little bit. But there is a possibility where, you know, maybe Pete stays upstairs in Seattle and and doesn't get a lot of interest. Maybe the Chargers end up having to go in a different 
direction than Harbaugh. He stays at Michigan and they hire someone young, like a Slowick, like a, a Ben Johnson, mm. um, or even Vrabel, who's kind of like old school, but he's still a relatively young guy. Then it really cuts in that direction. But I, I just think we need to see how a couple, how a couple decisions go to really have a clear sense of that yeah one last thing uh there's news that cliff kingsbury former arizona cardinals coach is interviewing for the bears oc job um when you see this and you read the tea leaves and you know that kingsbury was you know caleb's offensive coordinator at usc before he took his little sabbatical um does this mean that the bears are contemplating the idea of drafting caleb williams well, the Bears are contemplating the idea of drafting Caleb Williams. That's good. That's good to know. I feel like that. a lot of people have decided that Justin Fields is the guy, and I'm not sure that's the case. Yeah, I, I don't think. I think it, I think there's an argument to be made that the way that Justin Fields has played makes there a meaningful discussion about whether he or a rookie is going to perform at a higher level, I think you're still very much hoping that you can get a, a rookie who has more overall to offer in the passing game. And then the other thing is that once you factor in the money, because rookie's going to come in there on that rookie contract, Justin Fields is is approaching what will need to be his second contract. It just is so different. I, I think there's sort of no chance that they don't end up drafting a guy. No chance is maybe a little bit too strong, but I think that's mostly just a, a narrative that, I don't think the bears mind having out there because I do think that they will try to trade fields. Uh, I think the Kingsbury interview could have a lot to do with the fact that they're thinking about drafting Caleb Williams, but they've been thinking about drafting Caleb Williams. Um, so I, I think uh, if something is the chicken or the egg, right. I don't think there's really a chicken or the egg <laughs> question right. here. I think there is a lot of interest in Caleb Williams in Chicago and maybe some subsequent interest in Cliff Kingsbury because that is pretty close to their And game. it might make Caleb happy. Uh, and that's what really matters here when you talk about the number one pick. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Nora is going to debunk a few stories around the NFL. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're here with Nora, and uh, this is what we do. This is the last segment every single time I have Nora on the show. I bring up a few stories in the NFL, and we do our best to make sense of them or debunk them, whatever we can do. Um, here's one for you, Nora. DJ Moore, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, he said, quote, I don't do off-season workouts. Uh, he said this on the St. Brown Brothers podcast. He said, I drink Mountain Dew, smoke cigars, and when there's o- when OTAs come, show up, no stretch, and I pop off. Um how much is this, as the kids would say, cap? And how much of this is true? Like, do you believe that uh, DJ Moore uh, actually does not work out at all in the offseason? What, what, what is your read here? I don't really believe that DJ Moore doesn't work out at all. <laughs> do I believe that he's reflecting some degree of truth about how he's he's not super into preparation and health and, and all of that stuff? 
Yeah, I, I buy it. You know why? DJ Moore is 26 years old. Um, and you can get away with that stuff at 26. But I, at the ripe old age of 29, I'm here to tell you, DJ, life comes at you fast. So <laughs> let's check back in three or four years and see if DJ Moore is doing Pilates and drinking green juice in the off seasons, because I think that that might not shock me. Yeah. The TB12 method is right there. Uh, whenever he's ready to jump on it. Um, one last, uh, little debacle we had on social media during the, uh, playoff game for Philadelphia, Jay Gruden, former coach of the Washington commanders said, quote, if I ever put a QB through what Philly is putting Jalen through, I apologize, pick up a blitz. And then RG three quote tweeted it with the say what? And then they had a little back and forth, uh, Radata on Twitter. Um, <laughs> what were your thoughts on seeing RG three and Jay Gruden kind of battle this out? And how funny is it? Did we ever think we'd have some sort of moment like this a decade ago when RJ RG three was playing quarterback for Washington? Did we ever think, I mean, sometimes that organization, it just feels like nothing is ever off right. the table. So Anything I won't say possible. that it never felt like this could happen. <laughs> the my, re, my reaction to that was, you know, and I was sort of working on the piece that I wrote about the coaching cycle um, shortly after that had happened. And the thing that made me chuckle about it was it felt like things were getting so out of hand and there were so many just crazy stories and, and developments in this coaching cycle that Jay Gruden was kind of, kind of slyly he, being like, he thought he was peacocking. Let me, let me throw my hat in the ring. <laughs> yeah, right. Still available. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, RG three really came over the top on that. I mean, it's just unserious behavior yes. from all parties involved, but I, I have to say, I, I appreciate a good spectacle. So, Keep it up, boys. Yeah, shout out to RG3. Uh, you know, he's doing his best to, to, to make the social media thing uh, pop as best he can. Uh, Nora, where can we find all your work? Uh, and we'll let you go. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Uh, dual threat on the Ringer NFL show feed. We're going to have two breakdown pods this weekend, just like we did last weekend. And the ringer.com. There you go. The best. Uh, Nora, thanks so much for being on the show. Enjoy the divisional round. And we will talk to you next week. Appreciate you. Thanks, Tate. And coming up now, or right after the break, actually, we're going to have Waz join us, and we're going to talk some NBA. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. And joining us now from the Ringer universe, you know him, Big Waz. Waz, good to see you, man. Same. I'm happy to be back, as always. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Back-to-back weeks here. I think this is the first time we've had that done with you. So I'm excited about it. And we got more NBA conversations to have. Let's talk about it, because the Pacers made a big deal. They get Pascal Siakam. They add a piece. It looks like they're putting all their chips in. Do we think that this gets them into the conversation as an actual contender in the Eastern Conference? I don't think so. I don't think as of yet it does, but it definitely makes them a legitimate team to be reckoned with. I think they already had that going for them, but they had a gaping hole at the four spot. You know, as much as I love Obi Toppin. We we both love Obi Toppin. And even Jalen Smith, like these guys are not, you know, ideal starters for you at the four, whereas Pascal Siakam is a clear all-star. Like Mm -hmm. there's no two ways about it. He's that caliber of player. excuse me, he's still relatively young as well. And so, yeah, it made sense to do this upgrade. And 
and we could get into it, but I think he fits into the style of play mm-hmm. that they've already implemented here with Tyrese Halliburton. And so, yeah, man, this is a home run trade in my opinion. Yeah, and you talked about the style of offense. The offense is basically transition offense. Yes. And Pascal Siakam is one of the most efficient transition players in basketball. Yeah. Now you pair him with Halliburton. Now you kind of have a future where you can see the scope of this team. Um, does it, as a Pacers fan, do you feel like, wow, the organization and everyone is actually buying in for once like they're trying to win a championship because yeah. usually they're a typical team like let's make the playoffs we're happy yeah. about that it feels like they're they're going a step further yeah they, they, um, I think the term that most people would use for them organizationally is is cautious mm-hmm. right and that's typically the approach that they take however you know, you have to have some self-awareness when you're the Indiana Pacers. Um, you know, God bless the Hoosier State, but it's not exactly... <laughs> it's a college a f- basketball, high school basketball. Sure, right? it's not, and it's also not a free agent destination, right? And in order to bring in high-level talent, you have to take, you have to be willing to take risks. And obviously, Siakam is due for a substantial raise this summer. Uh, and that's part of the deal in trading for him. Um, but, you know, this is what you have to do when you're in Indiana to do massive talent upgrades. And I really do think this is a massive talent upgrade for them. So I applaud them for being aggressive in this way. I know people are talking about the pick compensation. It's really, if you really dig into it, like not all first round picks are created equally. These are like bad picks that they've sent, you know, to Toronto in exchange to bring this guy over. Yeah, three first round picks sounds good in a vacuum, but like you said, when you get into the details of it, not as damning as it may be. It's like you the seventh right. pick in the draft, 28th, um, even their own pick in 2026. Like Halliburton is still going to be squarely in his prime as one of the best point guards in the NBA. Like they're going to be a really successful outfit even um, going forward. So I, I think the pick compensation is is minimal, honestly. Yeah, and it started with DeAndre Ayton, right? They give him the restricted free agent offer. Yep. Um, it has to get matched by the Phoenix Suns. But when they did that, that was the first time I was like, wow, Indiana's really playing the game. You yeah. know what I mean? They're actually in the mix right mm-hmm. now. So it's, uh, it's encouraging for everybody out there that pulls for the Pacers. Shout out to them. Let's talk about the Thunder quickly. They lost sure. to both LA teams this week. Um, you know, we were both at the Clippers game, so we saw that in person. That was a great game. Are we are we kind of pulling back some of our Thunder love a little bit? It feels like everyone was all about the Thunder. Then this happens in L.A., and maybe the conversation has changed a little bit. I mean, I think they had an incredible sort of stretch last month, um, culminating in a nice victory. Talking Chet Holmgren all-star. Of I mean, course, yeah, right. of course. Into that next level. And they beat up on the Celtics, who are everybody's favorite team in the history of life, <laughs> right? Uh, this is like, you know, the 27 Yankees, right. these, yeah. these uh, Boston you better Celtics. Better respect Luke Cornett. Right, I mean? right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a true pioneer. Murderers Row and Peyton Pritchard. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, no, but like they had a beautiful stretch and, you know, the two L.A. teams are formidable opponents. Even when the Lakers are struggling um, on any given night, they can be as good as anybody in the NBA. So I'm not surprised that they necessarily lost those games. But what I was struck by being at the Clippers game and finally watching them up close for the first time all season is that, you know, they got the talent to run with anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shea is a, just a bona fide superstar. Uh, it's it's funny. Um, weirdly enough, is that he reminds me of Kawhi in a certain way. In that his he's op- like guard Kawhi. Yeah, his right. operation in the mid range. It's like you give me a foot of space and I get this mid range off. It's going in, mm-hmm. and he's become this like really willing passer. 
He's always had the downhill ability to finish at the cup. Obviously, his jump shot has just steadily gotten better and better and better as he's expanded his range. I just think watching him go up against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and even James Harden to a certain extent, it's like, man, the talent of this guy and the guys around him um, is pretty incredible. I think what was illustrated in that game, they're going to have issues with size. It's their one glaring weakness. Like, they don't bring size to any position on the court, right? Like, their center, Chet, probably my favorite young guy in years, um, we know his most glaring weakness is strength and physicality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that... It's tough to bang with Plumlee and I Tice. Mean, Tice. I yeah, mean, right. Getting banged around by the, the likes of those guys, you know, that doesn't bode well for you when you go up against, say, a Nikola Jokic or an Anthony Davis right. in the playoffs, right? And so the size thing is a problem. And I think they, in the future, they will look to upgrade that size. But on talent and skill... And effort level, precision, how they execute their game plan, their willingness to play for one another. Uh, I was very impressed by them, even in defeat against the Clippers. Yeah, let's talk about the Clippers because uh, talent, skill, all the things that, uh, you know, we were just talking about with the Thunder. This team kind of checks every single box, and they have depth. I mean, you got guys like Amir Coffey the other night who comes off the pitch and has some big minutes. Norm Powell can have some big minutes. And they do have the three bigs to handle Jokic, right? Sure. Zubac, first off the bench, going to start, been great in the pick and roll. Then you have Plumlee or Tice coming off the bench. You got the fouls, the stable of fouls to deal with Jokic. Um, What is is the ceiling for the Clippers and how impressed were you with Paul George at the end of that game? I mean, one, you have to look at the Clippers as just as good as anybody outside of Denver to come out of the West, mm-hmm. right? Like there, there's no, they're in the tier after Denver, in my opinion. I'm, I'm going to defer to the champions and what they accomplished in the playoffs last year. Um, but I think the Clippers are at the top of that next group. There's no denying that. Uh, and, and they went to the conference finals in 2021. I, yes, I feel like when people did. talk was, about the Clippers, they act like that didn't really happen. But happened. I did watch it. It, it did happened, happen. But, you know, it was... <laughs> See, you're doing what other people are doing. It, they're they're it, dismissive you know, about 2021 it. 2021 <laughs> is just one of those playoffs that I've, yeah. I've put in, you know, behind me. But, yes, that's fair. <laughs> you know, Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann led them to the conference finals. <laughs> In 2021. But what I'll say about this current group before I get to Paul George is that Harden does add a legitimate element that they've never had before. Like, a guy that can operate in pick and roll in just elite playmaking Mm -hmm. capabilities. They never had that element. And Zub, to a certain extent, is a vertical spacer. But Plumlee, like, you saw it against um, OKC where... Harden loves having that vertical alley-oop threat on his yeah. pick and rolls. And when defenses are committing extra resources to stopping that, he's firing it out to guys like, obviously, Kawhi, Paul George, Terrence Norm Mann. Powell, yeah. Terrence Mann. Like, it's... They're they, so deep. I mean, the Clippers are so deep. they had that element, that mm-hmm. playmaking, pick and roll element, spray out the shooters element. You add that to the physicality that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard bring to the wing position where they're like, it's, there are no teams aside from Denver, honestly, who has wing, two wing defenders big enough to deal with those dudes. So they're going to present some nice problems for their opponents come playoff time. And then Paul George, I think we just saw, you know, Paul George at his zenith, right? Uh, the three ball is working. He's getting his his way in the mid-range. He's in the passing lanes. Like, this is like a fully realized podcast P. And, uh, you know, if, if he's doing that come postseason and he has his legs under him and Kawhi, 
can obviously be Kawhi. Obviously, this is a very formidable Clippers side. It does feel like LeBron, what Kawhi is doing is what LeBron wants to do with AD, where he's like, you know, Paul George, you yeah. handle some of these regular season moments. You get your legs yeah. in. You take care of business. And then when we get to the playoffs, I'll step in, you know, as needed. And I feel like they have it really figured out right now. And yeah. uh, we're calling him Phenomenal P, Perimeter P, all, all the different versions of P. Yes. Playoff uh, P. Playoff P. Soon. Hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. We got more with Waz talking to the NBA. We'll be right back. Now, watch this, right right here. He used the time between his ejection and the post-game press conference to huddle up with his video coordinators, and he cooked up an actual video, like spliced clips together. It had zoom in, it had slow-mo. Only thing missing was a laser pointer, and I want to give a big shout-out to my man, Anthony Slater of The Athletic, uh, who asked him the question and teed him up, and Mike Brown said, hey, pass me the laptop, went, Frame by frame, play by play, explained why, you know, the calls were inconsistent, what he was complaining about. He showed the Dame call on a three-point shot where he was like, there was minimal contact. He showed De'Aaron Fox coming off the screen, getting hooked, getting thrown off balance and getting a no call. That's why I got kicked out. All right, there you have it. That was a clip from your new show here at The Ringer. It's going to be on The Ringer YouTube channel, yes, In My Feelings. Uh, what can we expect? I mean, what are you in your feelings about right now? I mean, it's just about candor. Mm. It's about holding yourself accountable and others. It's about fostering a a positive, safe space. Oh, I like a safe space. For yeah. NBA chatter, if you will. <laughs> and that's the, the point of the show. We we don't want to be stodgy and stuck up. We want to be right. open. It's almost like... Let's have a just normal hoops conversation. Think of The Sopranos. Yeah. When right. Tony would go in there and talk to Dr. Melfi, those mm -hmm. candid conversations right. where you get really in there, that's what we want to do about the NBA. Yeah, a place of honesty. That's, that's that, it. That's what we want. That's uh, it. So I, I'm excited for that. Shout out to you. Shout out to that show. Shout out to your other show, by the way, Group Chat, because this week you guys asked the question, who are the most intriguing players ahead of the trade deadline? So now I ask you that question. Who's your most intriguing player before the trade deadline? Who are you looking to see get moved? I picked Draymond Green just mm. for the fact that this the first time this man has ever been on the trading block in his career. Yeah. He was deemed an untouchable foundational part of what Golden State brought to the table. And the idea that he came off the bench in that first game, which I thought said a little something too, you know? It's just a gesture. Yeah. But the, the, the reality is they missed the guy. They need his defensive intensity. I think if a team wanted to just a quick fix for any struggling middling defense, Draymond Green is your answer. Mm. And obviously there are all the things that he brings off the court. <laughs> We've seen that, you know, come the bear. Uh, and even some of his antics on it can be a little insufferable at times. He's right. missed so much time this year for headlocking, putting guys in headlocks and giving them noogies. And you would also, think he got headlocked. Right. Well, by some of the time I mean, he's been 45 <laughs> minutes explaining why he had to punch a guy yeah, right. on an NBA yeah. court. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, those things aside, and I understand the risks associated with bringing a Draymond Green into your building, but I think he is still 
a very impactful player. And obviously his offense has faded as the years have gone on, but I think he could be super duper um, important to a team's defensive identity if somebody so chose to brought him in. And again, I'm intrigued by, like, what do you even give up for Draymond Green? What would the Warriors take in return for mm. Draymond Green? Like, you would think they would need a player who actually helped them win now because they have all these win-now aspirations with Steph Curry. And so, yeah, Draymond, I just found to be an intriguing guy. Yeah, is there one piece or one player out there that you think if they go to a situation, they could be that one piece away from contention? I mean, Siakam kind of checks that box, I guess, for the Pacers. But, you know, DeJounte Murray's out there as a conversation piece. Zach Levine has been out there as a conversation piece. Is there someone like that that you're like, if you take him, put him here, now I'm a little bit more intrigued by this team? I mean... And this would never happen, but the team that I threw out was Sacramento Mm -hmm. uh, for Draymond Green specifically. And, you know, they have this, like, little brother relationship with Sacramento. It's, like, really patronizing. and It's kind of like Sacramento took a little bit of the juice, though, of what the Warriors were as far as, like, a culture. Like, it's fun and loose and, like, we're having a good time. Mike Brown brought that style of offense and all of that. But we know when when your center is six foot eight and he's got the wingspan of a Tyrannosaurus Rex... Um, that's not going to bode well for you in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? And so Draymond, he changes that entire equation defensively for you. And I think you can still have an incredible offensive punch around what De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk and even Keegan Murray uh, brings to the table, right? And so Sacramento... And that toughness that Sabonis, you know, has kind of been questioned about, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, you, you can have him kind of come in and rough yeah. up a five, play the five a little and bit. And I think Draymond could play next to Sabonis. I think the spacing would become a little clunky because both of those guys struggle to shoot it. But I think the collective IQ, the cutting, the, you know, the overall, the passing between the two of them could make up for the lack of spacing that they would um, bring to bear. But yeah, Sacramento, I thought of as a team that could use an immediate upgrade. I thought of Indiana before the Siakam deal where it's just like, yo, Draymond would come in there and make your four spot shorn up. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's enough offense around it. They're clearly one of the most exciting offensive teams in the league right now. So, you know, I think about teams that struggle on defense for sure. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, great call there with Sacramento. Um, let's talk about the MVP battle between Jokic and Embiid. Embiid said Jokic is the best player in the NBA. Then we had the old heads come out and say, I don't like hearing him say that. You know, Shaq was pointing this out. What do we think about, one, the matchup, and two, Embiid kind of saying, even though he is the MVP, the reigning MVP, Jokic is the best player player in basketball look you can't argue that Joel Embiid in the regular season has been just as good most of the time as Nikola Jokic right I think he's dominated that matchup at times sure when they play ahead I think what Joel is speaking to is the success that Jokic had in the biggest game. Which I thought was very, I, I took it as, I thought it was him. self-aware and kind of humble at some yes, level. Yes, right. to be like, yo, the bottom line is, and these are the things, this is the subtext, these things go unsaid. Like, behind the scenes, this guy was campaigning for that damn MVP last year. Mm-hmm. Anybody who would listen, media member, he was like, <laughs> I want this MVP. By I'm, saying he didn't want it at first, you know what I mean? I'm playing right. for this MVP, <laughs> okay? Um, and again, he had to sit down and watch Jokic Round after round after round after Embiid, let's face it, crapped the bed yeah. in the postseason Blamed last out. year. Right. He watched Jokic every round destroy people. 
in multiple ways, not just scoring. Mm-hmm. You know, playing above his head on defense. Obviously, the playmaking. Like, he he sat and watched what Jokic did, like we all did, mm-hmm. collectively as a vast basketball-viewing public, and was like... This guy is the best. I'm sorry. How do you watch what this guy does and not come away with that? And he said, look, until somebody takes it from him, you know, removes him from the perch of finals, finals MVP, dominating every single round, every matchup, how can you take that away? But, you know, of course, and he said that later on in the statement, like, I'm a competitor. I believe in my ability to get there. Right. But Jokic did it. He went out and did it in the biggest games. And I thought, you know, it was very, like we said, self-aware of him to do that. I thought it was great from Joel. I'm not, uh, and I think deep down, he feels that he can match up. And, like, it doesn't matter how. It's a how, goal. Right, It's right, a target. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's like, like, I can definitive. be as great as this guy. Right. I, I, I saw the comment, and then I saw the reaction, and I was like, I think he was just trying to say what you're saying. So I agree with that. One last thing. DeAndre Ayton, a DMP because of ice. Uh, he, he pulled the classic... Uh, Basically, I have snow and ice, so I can't get to the arena, so he missed the game. Do you think that's a valid excuse to miss a game in the NBA? Um, I mean, it's very uh, snow day uh, of him. Uh, how do you feel about that? When I was We let that slide. When I was younger, <laughs> me and my homies used to, on snow days, we'd get a shovel, knock yeah. on people's doors. Go make Yo, some can cash. You give us 10 yeah, bucks yeah, yeah, to right. shovel this snow, yeah, shovel course. your driveway. Classic. Nice way to get some pocket change, right? Also to get some respect around the neighborhood, you know, of people course. say they're like he's These a good kid. Busting yeah, their yeah, right. out here in the snow day. <laughs> yeah. So my old <laughs> ain't gotta lift a finger. It's respect. DeAndre, stop it. Come on, bro. Yeah. There, first of all, <laughs> you mean to tell me there's nobody you could call? I know. You've made hundreds of millions in the NBA. You can't call anybody to perhaps pay? And you there's, know, there's got to be somebody Boost in Portland. Boost the local economy yeah. in Denver? Somebody can help. Someone could have gotten you to that it game. It snows a lot in Denver, bro. Right. You can find some salt the driveway. Right. I mean, come on. It's it's inexcusable. It's It was not an excuse that I was going to let slide. That sounds like somebody who's in Colorado, <laughs> if you get my drift, was just on his couch and like, did I'm not good. feel like getting <laughs> <I'm> up. <good. laughs> I'm gonna, I'm chilling. I'm gonna take tonight off. Yeah. Uh, Waz, where can we find all your work here at the Ringer? Of let course. You go. Yeah. Um, and my feelings on YouTube now. Yep. Check that out. Uh, we drop those every single Friday. Group chat on the Ringer NBA podcast feed wherever you get your podcast, preferably on Spotify, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, man, you never know where I might pop up elsewhere <laughs> on the Ringer, man. I might even be up here with Tate Frazier. Yeah, you never do, know. Doing through the Ringer. We love to see it. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Of course, this has been through the Ringer. We will see you on Tuesday with Cousin Sal. Thanks for watching.